Our goal is simple, to help you achieve the dream and vision you first had when you thought about starting a business. We're here to make growing your business less complicated. There are building blocks to build a sustainable business. We promise to seek them out and address them all. The Better Your Business Show starts now. Good morning and a welcome to the Better Your Business show. Learn from our panel of industry experts as we teach you how to better your business. I'm Natalie Eckman, financial strategist and your host. We have the professor of social media with us this morning, Mr. Todd Social. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Love to be here. Love the guests you go to have all the day and excited to be able to share valuable information for all the listeners. That's right. So whether you are joining us live or watching the replay, go to Pillar5.com and take your free business assessment so we can address any questions or concerns that you have throughout the show. Yes. And, you know, we all know that you are always trying to better your business. And you may have blind spots, you may have obstacles, you may have challenges. But the goal is to really help you have some insight and foresight to how you can actually grow and understand the different components and aspects of your business. Yes, that is right. So this morning we are going to be talking about let's make a deal. I hope you have your (laughs) costumes on because we are having deal maker in the house, Xavier Egan with us. I'm super excited about it. I learned so much. We had him on the show uh, once before and he just blew my mind. It was really funny because I had a friend of mine and her uh, daughter-in-law just posted that she she's mid twenties. She just bought two vending machines and stuck them in locations. And so I messaged her. I was like, get it girl, get it. I was so excited. And I just remember the first time we met Xavier thinking to myself, I wish I would have known you 20 years ago what a different position I would be in today if I understood what it means to buy a business, to sell a business, to prepare myself that way and to exit rich. So if we can bring him to the screen, Mr. Xavier Egan with Capital Asset Advisors here this morning. Xavier, I'm ready to make a deal. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. Good morning. Happy to join you all. All right. Good, 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 good. So let's hear a little bit about you. How did you get into your industry? I'm really curious about that. How did you get into buying and selling businesses, teaching people how to exit rich? Absolutely. Well, long story, uh, I kind of uh, worked in accounting and finance uh, for a couple of decades uh, in corporate America, kind of small businesses to midsize to, you know, billion dollar organizations. And at some point in time, uh, I found that I was working for a company owned by a private equity group. And that's really what expanded my mind on really thinking about how buying and selling businesses can create uh, extreme wealth, right? In the case of private equity. And then I uh, actually bought a mergers and acquisition firm. uh, And that's what ultimately cultivated capital asset advisors and where we are today. What is the biggest um, challenge that you've seen that business owners have in this capacity? 
Uh, I would say really knowing how to create value, right? Uh, people mm-hmm. really aren't very familiar with the idea of uh, exiting, uh, you know, or successfully exiting. Uh, statistically, only 20% of companies actually successfully transition their organization. So that means 80% of companies, you know, whether they're 100 years old or 100 days old, may disappear over time, right? So really honing into, you know, what that end game is or, you know, thinking with the end in mind is really something that people should be aware of. When do most people start thinking about that? Uh, usually when it's too late, uh, after they're, uh, <laughs> you know, upset uh, at the world or things aren't going perfectly, uh, things of that nature. When in actuality, it's uh, kind of what they say about uh, sports. You know, you want to go out when you're on the top, right? Uh, so instead of, you know, on the downtrodden or depressive side of your business, you really want to think uh, more and more about how your exit strategy would work as you're growing your business, right? Because it's way more valuable to someone else on the incline than it is on the decline, right? So let's talk about that because um, when I when I read about what you do, it says that you help them sell their business at maximum value um, and exit their business with a hand-selected buyer. So talk to me about that a little bit. Does it take, um, like I think about, retirement planning, right? Because I'm in finance. So in my regard, I'm helping people exit their job, right? So um, so how do you do that on a business component? Because my thoughts are <clears throat> typically people are so far behind and we're talking about, you know, their job, let alone their business. Um, you know, how do you get started in their process? How do you know what type, how much to sell their business for? How do you, you know, come up with people that are interested in buying that type of business? Sure. Well, I would say it's very similar to something people are familiar with, real estate, that in order to sell a house, you have to know what the value is or even to sell a building. Right. Uh, So typically, that's the first step is to understand what your business valuation may be. Uh, And that's something that we can uh, offer as a complimentary service up front. There's also some extensive versions of that uh, if you needed for insurance or buy sell agreements or otherwise. Uh, but really understanding what your value is today is going to be important as a growth step, right? To say, well, even if it's not where I want it to be or in the perfect place, uh, if I know today where I stand, then it's a lot easier to build up to where I want to be tomorrow. So usually when people are coming to see you, do they own multiple businesses? I'm just curious what kind of... (laughs) Well, sometimes, uh, sometimes, uh, probably more often they own one business, maybe, uh, you know, a side thing, something like that as well. Uh, And they're really focused on that main business, whatever it may be, Uh, whether that's construction or, you know, marketing or, you know, uh, technology or otherwise. So they don't often have time to be that diverse unless they're, uh, you know, a little bit fancier, more sophisticated or kind of a bigger uh, player. Uh, but our average everyday person, uh, seeing as there's, what, 30.3 million businesses in the States, you know, 99.8% of them being small uh, and the most majority, 90% being uh, 20 employees or less, it's really not, you know, a game of uh, always the most sophisticated crowd. It's really just, 
everyday Americans, right, uh, that are in a variety of positions and, you know, sit in a variety of seats and say, hey, well, either uh, I've never thought about exit or something's got me thinking about it, uh, you know, kind of help guide me towards the path. Awesome. And then you just kind of reverse engineer from there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I know that you have um, joined the board with Pillar 5 ID Systems. Sure. Talk to us a little bit about that. What made you to be part of this journey? Well, sure. I think that it's important for businesses to have a, uh, a village, right, to uh, uh, the same idea that they say about it takes a village to raise a child. I think the same when it comes to uh, business aspects that it's a lot more than just the visionary per se or just the accountant or you know just the lawyer it takes a whole you know tribe of people from the inside all the way to the outside to really be successful and all of those partnerships are really what creates the, the ecosystem of why businesses are able to uh, create you know so much of the gross domestic product or you know create so much value for their families or others. Uh, so I think that I do systems kind of helps as, as a part of that team, where of course helping uh, you know companies understand where they're positioned uh, financially, you know, from a standpoint of what we do uh, from a business valuation is obviously valid uh, from an exit planning standpoint, but where are we positioned from a growth standpoint or from a timing standpoint or from a next level? Uh, where, you know, bankability or financeability uh, or risk tolerance or otherwise, uh, I think there are a lot of questions to be asked about uh, a business in order to make sure they're going into the successful route and staying in the place that they want to be. And I do systems is one of those support functions that's really trying to balance that out, right, and give them a, another tool in the shed to say, hey, we're headed the right direction and we know some steps to be successful. Yeah. So how long does that process usually take when you sit down with the business owner from that first consultation with them mm -hmm. um, and kind of putting that strategy together? How long does that process usually take? Let's just say, well, let yeah, the whole thing, maybe you sit down, you evaluate my business. That's our first initial conversation. Sure. We decide, yes, this is going to work. And then how long does that process tend to take? Sure. So I'd say uh, usually we go with a uh, two-step process. Uh, to start the conversation, right? Uh, although the value of a company is going to be uh, most closely coordinated when it comes to uh, the financeability, you know, the the tangible parts, uh, the real value for the next owner is going to be the intangible parts that makes your different business uh, your business different from the the next, or make it you know more usable or ease of use uh, than the next. So usually in order to understand uh, how your business works, what those ins and outs are and what the you know coordination day to day uh, looks like, then we usually have a first conversation where we talk, you know, general discovery, right? Where your company lies, how it works, where you are, you know, what the people look like, uh, what kind of positioning you have available. And then we uh, follow up because usually we need a fact pattern for the uh, valuation side, something like financials or uh, otherwise. Then the second meeting is more focused on the tangible, right, which is looking through uh, coordinated uh, financial details, 
uh, and then applying kind of the standard apparatus to uh, multiples, uh, asset estimations, and things like that to come up with the total value of the company. Uh, so that's kind of the first, uh, you know, two steps, I would say, to getting to at least a choice position where a person can say, okay, well, <clears throat> I'm quite serious about the idea of potentially exiting my uh, organization successfully. And now that you've told me what my value is, you know, I want to go, right? Or it turns out the other hand, you know, I want $5 million as a value and it's only a $2.5 million a day. Uh, so that gets you to more of the talk of how do I create more value to get to that final destination that I'm looking for. Uh, and it gives you that parameter of mark to market of say, hey, where am I Where am I today? Right. So the next year I can decide, well, hey, am I progressing forward towards that goal and I'm at three million or am I going backwards? Right. And I'm at, you know, two, two and a quarter or something like that. Uh, so that's kind of how the general process would work if, you know, there's a decision factor for sure uh, to really discern that you're really ready uh, to exit that company. And of course, part of that decision is that the value that you're hoping for, uh, you've already achieved or a value that you're willing to accept, you're close enough to achieve. <laughs> and out of the businesses that you sit down with them, how many of them are really in position to do that or have even planned to be able to? planned it that way as opposed to having to being forced to exit their business for, you know, one reason or another? I would say uh, back to the statistics, only 20% of the companies exit successfully. That means 80% of companies, whether they're hundred years old or hundred days old, just disappear one day. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so successful exit means that you transacted and transitioned to another party so that it could move forward, you know, now, whether it was, you know, superior compensation or, you know, uh, filled your wildest dreams of making you wealthy uh, is another subject matter. Right. But the success really comes in transition and keeping the operation going because we all kind of started a business from a legacy standpoint that we really wanted this to go on beyond us. Right. Uh, so most organizations aren't ready. Right. Uh, just truly, they uh, the value isn't there uh, as most often what we find is the number one reason. Uh, hey, I'm at two and a half and I want to be five million. Uh, let's talk more about the growth to get there. Uh, and then the other side is maybe we're not positioned uh, to exit. And some of the value factors that are important to say another owner may not be something that was important to us as the way that we formatted our business. A good example might be that uh, maybe I'm a hands-on type of owner and I love to talk to my clientele base. So I don't have a, a number one salesperson. I'm the CEO and I'm the guy who goes and talks to everybody in the field uh, and services all the clients. And, you know, nobody knows the rest of the company. They know me. Well, from a transition standpoint, that's a huge risk for the next owner because they may not have the, the same you know, genesis qua that you had per se, right? Or the the great personality or, you know, that uh, that I'd love to have a beer with you type of, uh, you know, mentality. And because of that, that can be a detriment to that next owner. And that, again, could be a detriment to the value that you created. Even if you have successfully, uh, you know, created value for yourself, right? That it's paying your bills, it's taking care of your family, and all of that would well, may not be set in position 
to be successfully succeeded to another person if we haven't thought about that and, you know, purposely planned uh, and created that kind of environment. It was funny because last time we had you on the show, you really just blew my mind and opened up this whole other world for me. So the next morning I had a doctor's appointment. At, well, I went to see my chiropractor. And so that was the first thing I asked him. <laughs> and so I was like, what is your plan for exiting? How does this work for you? And he said essentially exactly what you just said. He said, in my industry, it's a little bit different because it's such a personal industry yeah. that a lot of times it doesn't work that way for me. And so I had asked him, well, how did you start your practice? He told me I bought he bought four books of business, but it still wasn't the same. You still have to go in and, and build that relationship. So it's very interesting to kind of hear how this all goes together. Um, I did. I had two other questions that were really, really pressing for me. One was, is there a certain type of business that works better in your industry? You know, we live in a world now where there's a lot of MLMs. There's, you know, just all different types of way people are doing business. Is there a certain type of business that works best for you in that regard? Okay. Well, no, uh, I think that's the uh, positive about uh, the mergers and acquisition industry. Uh, ideally, it uh, compromises uh, or, you know, consists of every business that exists to really make that true ecosystem, right? That's how you know, the, the macroeconomics works for all of us is that we need a dry cleaner, we need a laundry mat, you know, we need a, a cleaning company, so on and so forth. Uh, all of them may be similar, but we still need all of them independently because the service for me may be different from the service for you or my need may be alternate to your need. So from a standpoint of how the business market works, there is no necessary bad company uh, that exists. I mean, ultimately, there is for every company, another person that's willing to take that on, whether it's an organization uh, like a corporation or, you know, another business uh, or if it's another individual who just wants to lead this dynamic company and the, the charge forward. Uh, usually there's something for every industry. Now, whether your company is set up in position uh, for that transition is a little bit different, but can it be absolutely right every company out there could be successfully positioned for succession uh, now of course there's things that are super popular uh, if we we're talking venture capital space or something like that people hear a lot about technology companies uh, as well right but from a day-to-day -day, uh, anybody can kind of take advantage type of space is really everything from construction to marketing and staffing and uh, insurance, wealth management, you know, M&A, uh, chiropractic, CPA, dental offices, uh, anything you can think of. I think I did some research. There's one thing that we can't buy uh, as a general practitioner. And if and that's just a law office. And they voted, <laughs> I think, a couple years back, 2017, I think and suggested that they still wanted to keep the idea that only a lawyer can buy a law practice, right? Uh, to make sure that they, uh, you know, kept integrity in the industry, right? That they couldn't be bought. <laughs> That's very interesting. Wow. Law. You can't, you yeah. can't buy a law office. <laughs> That's it, right? But we literally <laughs> buy a hospital right now and none of us be, you know, people with medical professions or degrees, right? Uh, we buy a dental practice or 
chiropractor or anything we wanted. So there really isn't a limit to how that transition works. It just goes back to people create their own limits on what those transition plans are. Awesome. We're going to go into a quick break and we'll be right back with Xavier Egan with Capital Asset Advisors. We are talking this morning about making a deal. We'll be right back. There are business owners who open a business, close a business, open a business, close a business, and repeats that cycle until one day they open a business that becomes successful, sustainable, and thriving. And that's proven. We could talk about many entrepreneurs that are very well known in the marketplace who tell you they've opened several businesses and closed several businesses in order to get where they are today. Because of the 2000 mantra that came in that you have to fail to succeed. And so in their mindset, I have to start a new company. I have to close it. I have to start another company. I have to. The key word here is I have to. And they don't. There's a choice. They could choose not to do that. Chris's business was growing and quickly adding employees. The company was taking, company off. Was taking off. When the company grew to, more, company than grew to more than 25 people, 25 people Chris hardly had Chris time to do anything to but do deal with annoying employee problems. problems. Fortunately, Chris, Fortunately found Chris found the abundant tools, tools to organized to and motivated. Now, delegating is easy and the company can keep growing. If you manage or advise a company like this one, visit Abundant.com to learn more. And we are back with Xavier Egan with Capital Asset Advisors. This morning, we are talking about making a deal, buying and selling your business. Welcome to the show, Xavier. So one of the questions that we had from our studio audience is, when should entrepreneurs begin with the end in mind and how or who do they go to other than legal zoom, etc.? That was for your dance intro. That's you're supposed to, you didn't know that that's part of me at the dance. <laughs> that's your debut. <laughs> okay. Okay. Perfect. So, uh, they say uh, when you go into uh, a business to start with a business plan, right? In a general construct, say if you went to your uh, SBA score office, you know, yeah. they walk you through a concept and say, hey, let's let's write something up to figure out what we're going to do here. Uh, and in that, they would say, hey, you choose a market and get a percentage of that. Uh, and it's going to be so big that you should be successful. If you figure that out, then you're good to go. Right. And then after that, in the back of that business plan, it says, begin with the end in mind. How will you exit? Right. What's the end strategy? And most people just, you know, simply uh, breeze over that topic and say, hey, I'm going to sell it. Right. Or I'm going to give it to my kid or something like that. Sixty uh, percent of business owners still believe the, the old school theory of succession planning, which is that there'll be a family lineage plan, right? Where I'm going to give it to, you know, someone, you know, the daughter, son, nephew, mm -hmm. what have you. Uh, today, that's only successful 15% of the time, right? And now there's a generational kind of uh, dynamic or gap where nobody wants to do what their parents did. No matter how good it looked or bad or otherwise, or, you know, wealthy or poor, Everybody believes that they can create their own path. So Junior doesn't even live in town anymore, right? He lives in a different city, a different state, and 
Most of us are visuals to prove that, right? Uh, including myself. So it's really difficult to say that the old school thought that I can leave it to my son or daughter is going to be a, a value proposition for them. Uh, so beginning with the end in mind and that business plan might say that we need to put a little bit more effort into that, right? With what does it look like to transition outside of that family succession? And looking into that usually is to talk to uh, a business broker, depending on the size of your company or M&A advisor or uh, investment banker, uh, just kind of depending on the level. Uh, and of course, we can help guide you through uh, whichever level you may be at. Uh, but talking to them and getting evaluation uh, is usually a good start. You know, whether or not you're looking to exit at the time, uh, having that third party opinion to give you kind of that market synopsis or market visual on what you're doing or what they you perceive yourself to be doing uh, could be a value add. Uh, and a lot of those guys, you know, may go through question or Q&A kind of thing to tell you, hey, you're not in a position yet. Uh, some of them will go through the valuation steps uh, and, you know, others will get you all the way to that point where maybe there's consultation or classes or things like that that you can go to to kind of get more familiarity with uh, where you are. Uh, and that could be, you know, a financial advisor, a business uh, broker or M&A advisor, all the way to your CPA trying to give you some insight on, hey, there is more value to be created and had from your company, uh, but you may need a professional to help you, you know, guide yourself through that year over year, right? I would think it's crucial. Mm -hmm. I would think it was so, it would be so important, especially dealing with hopefully such a large sum of money, <laughs> right? Um, I just can't imagine spending all that time going through my business and not paying attention. Now, at least at least for me meeting you the first time, I don't know if I would have had this conversation a year ago, but I just can't imagine now. And I know even after our conversation, the first thing I did is I went back to my CPA and I changed our conversation. Um, can you change, talk a little bit about um, when you're valuing your business, why that's important <laughs> instead of reverse engineering all the way back, right? Why is it important to show the value? Yeah. So there's a, you know, terminology that exists called uh, operating loss, right? And mm -hmm. ultimately it just means uh, maximizing your tax positioning, right? Uh, and sometimes that can be having a negative bottom line, although you have a positive cash flow position. And, you know, depreciation is a good example of how that could work. You know, you made a hundred thousand, but you bought enough equipment uh, that you could depreciate a hundred thousand, right? Or 150,000. And now you've lost 50,000 per se. And when actuality, you still have all that cash. So the operating loss is something that people, uh, especially tax professionals always, or, you know, should most often advise uh, for businesses to take advantage of, right? Because it's a savings mechanism uh, as a part of how you apply the tax code, right? Uh, not that I'm your tax professional, please go get your own advice. Uh, but it is a tool to be used. However, when it comes to understanding the value of your company, uh, people need to just understand or be able to discern the discretionary earnings that are had for your company. And what that means is from a seller standpoint or owner standpoint, there are benefits that you're able to take advantage of, right? Uh, the bottom line is a part of it, 
uh, but you may have things that are already hidden inside the bottom line that you're taking advantage of, like uh, salary per se, or uh, leasing vehicles, or, you know, you might even lease an apartment. I don't know how Natalie gets down, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there could be all sorts of discretionary things that are, uh, again, uh, discretionary expenses or earnings for this owner or fringe benefits that the next owner can ultimately choose if they take the cash home or if they apply it the same way and it doesn't affect how much revenue is created in the company. So being able to see or spot those things out is going to be important. And sometimes when we talk with our tax professional, not only do we start with the operating loss, uh, but then we also get into uh, disguising expenses per se uh, in the categorizations that may not make it easy for us to discern the difference between what's a discretionary earning for the owner and what may be uh, a regular expense that's necessary for the business to operate. And an easy example might be uh, people spending gas, you know, on their cars or taking care of their vehicles, you know, whether it's lease expense or just gassing them up all the time. Well, if you look at this business and it's not a business that correlates to uh, delivery or transportation, then that gas could really be a freebie that the owner's taking advantage of. Uh, but if it is an organization where they're providing transportation or delivery or something like that, then it could be that the owner's just hiding his own gas in the middle of that melee. So understanding that discretionary earnings are OK and acceptable from a tax basis standpoint but also important to be able to uh, discreetly uh, separate so that you can be able to provide the value for yourself, right? Because ultimately, if the bank can't prove it or easily carve it out, then it doesn't exist. So it's hard for a buyer to create the value on that aspect, right? If I can't get finance for it, then ultimately I have to pay for it out of my pocket. And most deals are going to be leverage based at a certain level. Uh, as leverage buyout is kind of the, the biggest terminology for uh, M&A uh, in the globe. So if that's the case, then you really want to be in the best position to say, hey, every dollar or dime that I get to take advantage of, uh, an old school version of it is that I show profitability on the bottom line. Uh, fortunately, that's going to cause a tax you know, yeah. uh, effect for me. Right. So if I want to have the you know positive tax effect, then it would be, hey, well, I want to listen to my CPA, but at the same time, I want to provide guidance and support on what my end goal is, right? That, hey, I may not want to go all the way uh, to uh, that discrete level that they suggest. Maybe I want to create another category or I may want to box it out a little bit further to say, hey, I want to be able to point to that object and say, hey, no, that's me, right? And even if I called it owner's expenses, there's not necessarily a flaw to that from a tax basis standpoint. You know, you could have uh, regular cost of goods sold to say that's valid for the business. And then you could have owners, you know, truck costs kind of thing that isn't valid to the business. And both you get to write off, you know, because in the tax form, they don't have a separate spot for, you know, cool stuff that I get to take advantage of for myself <laughs> versus the expenses <laughs> I do for the business, right? all involved together. So it's ultimately to your advantage to use your profit and loss statement, your own personal statements to really discern these things. And that's where your CPA can help 
where it's not uh, changing the tax uh, kind of positioning, but it's also creating the definition that you need uh, to be visible. So most companies, if not all, think revenue uh, first and revenue to outpace expenses, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially, when you're talking to a company um, and helping them to understand like exit, whether it's through an acquisition, a merger or something of that nature, um, is there a way for them to understand how valuable that they are um, versus just creating more revenue to create more value? Because I think a lot of companies struggle in trying to find that. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of where the uh, valuation process comes in handy. Uh, I think it's a little bit different from what people think of uh, naturally as their intrinsic value. Right. Like I'm, yeah. I'm the owner of this company and, you know, I count my value based on the people I touch or the employees that I, I uh, can afford or, yeah. you know, how many deliveries I make. You know, all of these could be value metrics. Uh, that are intrinsic and internal to the company that I use as markers to kind of get where I'm going. And uh, albeit true that they are part of the big story, they aren't, you know, kind of the same story, I would say, that the financeability or the valuation from a bankability standpoint is looking at. Uh, so that's where that third party comes in, right? To say, hey, let's start with the bottom line. Let's then get into what are our discretionary earnings? You know, what are our ad backs, as we call them uh, in the industry? Uh, what are the assets that we may have? You know, what is the market value for those things? Uh, where are we positioned in the organization? You know, how does uh, the stability look? You know, how's our customer concentration look? Uh, how's our management flow of organization look, right? Uh, if, in fact, I left the organization a day or I left for a week, uh, would it detrimentally, you know, affect the company minorly, you know, moderately, what have you, right? All of those are sensitivity uh, variances of what creates value on top of those fact-based things that we talked about before on the discretionary earnings, right? That if a company is set up to where there's a, you know, operational leader, you know, which maybe I'm doing as the owner, and there's a second in command, and then there's a third in command, and there's squads of people out there doing their job, that's going to be a lot more valuable if it's versus a flat organization where it's me, you know, leading all the dynamics and just people out there, you know, in the streets, you know, doing their own thing. Because in the next owner's version, I have to be as dynamic as you, you know, to create the success in the organization the same way as you versus I'm looking for a business transaction investment, right? And the true means of investment is that I'm not taking a gamble or risk, right? So I ultimately want something that's consistent, that I can continue to see the consistency that it's already created from the past. So having that management layer might be detrimental, right? Or super important, knowing that you're not the guy, the face of the videos and all of that kind of thing for all the customers might be important or that you've got somebody else in the company doing that, right? That you don't have one customer that loves you to death and everybody else is a minor customer uh, in comparison. And if this one customer leaves, we're up, you know, the creek without a paddle type of thing, right? 
So there's a, you know, again, uh, intrinsic value that I might create that says, hey, uh, as a lifestyle company, uh, which is a terminology that just translate that it's working well for my life. Uh, you know, I'm doing great. You know, my bills are paid. I got the car I want, the house, you know, everybody's happy at the company. <laughs> it's my lifestyle, right? But from an organizational and a structural standpoint, it's not prepared for any succession, right? It's not strategized yeah. for transition. And so that company would yield less value. Although across the street, they could be doing the exact same numbers as this guy because he's running it from a lifestyle standpoint and they put an organizational structure in, set, in place. They can transition and gain the value of the company and he may not be able to, right? Someone may want the discount or may not want to take over it or take advantage. Yeah. And that's kind of the, uh, I would say, the flaw with people not planning uh, in advance that succession is a part of the strategy and that transition is a part of the strategy so that we may need insight outside of the intrinsic value that we would want to create. Right. Like I want a business that's right for me. It's kind of how people start. Right. They think about the entrepreneurial activities as a, a freedom charge, you know, like. Mm, I'm going to be out here doing what I want to do, you know, owning my time, creating my space, creating this, this great <laughs> mystical, you know, island in the world that's mine. Yeah. And albeit that's true to a certain extent, that's not really what creates the value in the long run, right? Because an organization that's really uh, customized specifically to you isn't valuable to anybody else. Exactly. Is there any difference um, from one business broker to another or do mm -hmm. they typically all provide the same service? Well, I'm going to say that uh, Capital Asset Advisors provide <laughs> the greatest service, <laughs> quote unquote, in the world. Right? <laughs> and there is no other like us. Uh, all right. So there, there will be a degree. Right. Uh, and really part of that just categorizes into, you know, the value of your business. Uh, first off, to which uh, types of organizations would be willing to deal with you. There are certain brokers who say, hey, you know, if we have a phone Q&A conversation and you don't have this much revenue, you know, catch me later, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You have it. Uh, yeah. There's others that will go through the, you know, steps to help you understand where to get, right? Uh, so it really does kind of depend on the, the rhyme and rhythm uh, to your organization and uh, kind of the pace of what you're doing. Uh, now, the general aspects of uh, what a uh, M&A advisor or broker might do absolutely is the same. The framework, you know, they're going to hopefully uh, help you uh, take your business to market, whether that's in a public, you know, discreet kind of context or whether it's in a private hand-to-hand -hand kind of combat uh, version of it. Uh, that's the job. Uh, now, how good they do at that job, you know, how much you appreciate their services, that's always going to, you know, be a little bit unique towards the organization that you work with. I, and I would think even the buyer reach would be my guess, right? The the pool deficient of who's going to buy the business. Yes. I, I would assume that's something you kind of create over time as you're building your niche. Yes. So there are some uh, open market uh, type of utilities uh, similar to uh, Zillow uh, when it comes to uh, real estate from a residential standpoint. Uh, 
uh, there's some other tools we could talk to to commercial uh, for businesses at a you know lower market standpoint. Uh, bizbysell.com is an example of a you know marketplace where you could see businesses available every day uh, that are transitioning and transacting, right? Uh, and so there is a way for, you know, any broker or any owner to theoretically just go direct, use the open market resources and uh, create access to buyers. Right. So that is part of the tool set, I would say, that uh, hopefully all of them would have access to. But then, you know, with time, history and effort, maybe some of them might be more specifically niche driven where they have a historic context of owners or uh historic context of buyers that may be relevant to you uh, already. And then others, you know, we try to be industry agnostic. So we say, hey, we'll go figure that out for each industry, right? Or each particular business if necessary. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, this is interesting though, because we really think about it, really breaking it down in context for a lot of businesses um, in different categories too, it might be better for them to be uh, sourced more. Like if it's a tech business, it might be better for them to be instead of revenue driven uh, to try to upsell their business and create valuation. It might be better for them to do a merger or acquisition. There might be better software that's out there to kind of merger and acquire. There might be firms that might be franchisable but they don't know how to exit to that that's so right what's what's interesting is that you give businesses a sense of where their strategy should go it seems like they get a strategy or a plan to start but then they don't think of exit so they don't necessarily know what scale is for them because everybody mm -hmm. says scale is more revenue and that not, that's not necessarily true so if you see a business kind of, I guess, in a mid-tier, kind of at a crossroads, mm -hmm. how do you help them navigate whether it's exit to sell, exit to merger and acquire, or say, you know, exit to, you know, set, you know tra transition the business to someone else? What, what kind of traits or tactics do you look for that help you to decipher which kind of roadmap to take them to? Sure. So, you know, really, uh, the truth about this is that that's a personal decision, right, for each individual owner. This is probably one of the most uh, emotionally dynamic uh, industries that exist uh, out there. And the reason is because uh, you would kind of correlate this to uh, selling Granny's house, right? <laughs> that we had that much experience with it, right? We've been that close to it. Yeah. But as you can imagine, statistically, as a we're a male-dominated society, women power, women uh, International Women's Month, though, right? Let's get more right. batteries out there. That's right. Uh, but we're male-dominated, so most organizations are going to be male-owned. Now, as you can imagine, uh, that's the surprising dynamic to say it's emotional context, right? But if you can think about this. Uh, <laughs> Most of us, from a um, standpoint of business ownership, have spent more time with our organization than we spent with our families. We've grown this thing. We might have had it before we had that woman, tell you the truth, right? We might have grew it and had that organization before we had those kids. We might have had those relationships with those employees 
before we had relationships with some of our friends. And so building that context over time is something that is a lot more than money uh, to say that it's time to transition. It's a lot more than just the value at that point, right? This is a, my family, ultimately, right? This is something it's their that their identity. Yeah, this is my mm-hmm. identity, and there's a <laughs> there's a whole series of uh, you know transitioned uh, uh, counselors that would tell you that there's a big deal, right? To Natalie's point, you know, the identity that's tied to that and the uh, routine uh, availability or utility, the idea that. You know, every morning I get up, you know, I go to the office, you know, I have my coffee with the boys and, you know, I go to lunch here and I do this and that. What's next is a concern just as much as how much value that I'm going to get out of this uh, is a concern. Uh, so don't, you know, take it that, of course, that we're focusing on the, the fact pattern uh, right now as the largest uh, utility point to organization, because in reality, uh, as I said, you know, they're not going to cry in front of me. Right. But there may be a little, uh, you know, withdrawal uh, from transition that people aren't expecting or uh, aren't anticipating. And that goes back to planning that transition and successful transition comes in a you know dynamic way that money is a part of it, you know, and setting your life up in a position but also what's next? What am I going to do as a part of it, too? So to your more specific question, it could be based on the owner himself and what he feels and where his life is. Instead of saying, well, hey, you know, I always imagine that I was going to have five million. I come in and say, well, shoot, you're six and a half million. You ready to go? Let's get some turkey. Right. Let's just cash in. Mm-hmm. They say, Well, you know what? I'm really enjoying it right now. I'm excited and I'm still passionate about what I'm doing. So I'm not sure if I'm ready to cash in, if the money would mean anything, because I don't know what I'm going to do next. And then it becomes, well, hey, well, if it's not over, then you can make more money. You can create more value then. Right. Mm -hmm. And how do you create more value? Well, because we've walked through your intangible, intangible means of uh, value for your company, we may have, you know, great tools like I do systems to refer you to or banks for credit lines or sales companies or marketing companies, uh, marketing professors or whoever to help you create more revenue, you know, less expenses or do both in that organization. Uh, Or the secondary, you're big and bad enough and really understand that you want to scale even more. And hey, if I made it to six and a half in this time, maybe I want to double or quadruple. Well, now we're talking M&A at that point. Let's go acquire other organizations to where our footprint could be twice the size in one one event. Right. And now we learn more. We pick up extra attributes, uh, better knowledge base, uh, more understanding, uh, you know, more skill levels, because now we get that organization and all the utility that they provide in addition to their customer base and revenue, not just buying a book of business, kind of how we look at insurance sometimes. Right. So there is a you know strategy for each person, I would say, uh, based on kind of where they feel they are in life. It could be that, hey, I'm uh, six and a half is great. I'm done with this thing. I've had my road here at this company. I love the industry at first, but I hate it now. Let me cash in. And what am I going to do next? Anything that doesn't involve this, 
All right. I'm a buy into the business that doesn't involve this. Okay. And I'm glad it went well, but I'm not trying to, you know, roll the dice twice with them. So really that goes back to that emotional context that each owner has his own family and his own uh, vision and, you know, visual of what he would hope success really means for him or uh, how he would like to live out the remainder of his days. And that looks so different and so unique for all of us, you know, uh, maybe that's cashing out and going to Denver uh, and buying a house by the lake. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's some great laws to say why you might want to do that. Uh, but there's another guy who says, hey, that's not his vibe. Right. So understanding that is really that unique position where we're not the drivers uh, of the strategy uh, when it comes to which strategy we go. We're more uh, the implementation experts of the strategy, right? Do you want to get that, Todd? Are there any questions that an entrepreneur should ask themselves or answers that should have regarding their company before reaching out to a business broker? Uh, yeah, do I make any money? <laughs> uh, that's important, right? Uh, you do want to have some growth so that, you know, this guy isn't uh, feeling like he wasted his drive or talk with you, right? Uh, some positioning level. So you don't want to start, you know, day, uh, day one, week one, like, hey, let's talk to the broker, because there's really no details for him to discern uh, kind of that scenario based off of, right? Uh, sure. So usually the, the value market for them is going to be per year added into the organization. Uh, because they're going to need a full year financials or full year tax statements or multiple years of tax statements as a best case scenario, uh, because ultimately from a bankability standpoint, you're going to need at least two to three years worth of consistent, consistent, uh, you know, tax files or production to say that, hey, I believe that, you know, financing this company uh, is a sound decision, right? So it's not something that, you know, hey, week one, day one, I could knock it out the park and check off my list. Let's go call a uh, M&A advisor and have that chat. Uh, but it is something once you get to, you know, past year one and year two, and year three, that, you know, every year from then on, it's something that, hey, a good annual checkup uh, is how I call it. Uh, you know, again, male dominated. So I always say, hey, it's uh, like going to your annual checkup. You may not want to go but you're pretty satisfied by getting the results, right? Like that, you know, you're not dying, hopefully. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> if you get, the, you get the results, you know, that you're looking for, you're good to go. Now, if yeah. you say your business is trash or, you know, uh, you can't sell it today, that's perfectly fine because uh, it's not going to tell you anything negative. If anything, it's going to give you upsides to uh, what you can do from a strategy standpoint of how to add more value. Uh, but having more than one year worth of uh, history is probably going to be that starting point. Which to me is exciting. I never understand why people don't want to get back together after a year. Cause like, don't you want to see the growth? I'm like, show me the money. I want to see it. <laughs> right. And then what can we do to even, you know, there's, I, I'm assuming there's always going to be a little bit of room to shift. We're going to always have to mm -hmm. shift a little bit during that process. To me, that's just yeah. exciting to say, okay, we did this. Let's see what we did now. How we can we make it even better going into this next year, this next quarter. So. Absolutely. And some might even say, Hey, when you get to that valuation, 
you might spot things out like, hey, that was more profitable than I thought. Or, you know, that looks to be too many expenses in that category. You know, why should I be doing that? So it could be a helpful exercise of utility to have those conversations with some third party. Right. That doesn't have any benefit, you know, to writing it down a certain way. Right. Because uh, in the broker's case, we want the best fact pattern possible. Right. If, you know, we can prove the value of your organization off of uh, details and facts, then more likely we can achieve, you know, full price for whatever we put on the market. Uh, so it's in our best favor to say, hey, you know, that is validated. Like we know where that number comes from. You know, we can prove that they've been that successful and that they have this customer base and, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Not kind of that mythical uh, growth standpoint where we're thinking more uh, venture capital, where it's about what could happen in the future, right? Uh, when it comes to acquisition or succession planning, it's about the, the tangible, what is actually here today. Uh, and then, you know, secondarily, what I could visual tomorrow. How does someone reach your company, Xavier? Uh, well, happily, uh, capitalassetadvisors.net. Uh, uh, .co, .biz, a lot of those get to us directly. Uh, we're on most social media aspects. Uh, you can always find me, uh, Xavier Egan, uh, at LinkedIn. Uh, it's pretty easy to uh, run me down or uh, our phone number, 817-391-1475. Uh, email address, Xavier at CapitalAssetAdvisors.net. Any of the above work? <laughs> Do you have a preferred method of communication? Uh, no, all of the above work. Uh, of course, email is probably the most uh, trustworthy. There you go. <laughs> awesome. We're going to wrap it up. But my last question that I have for you is um, I have decided I want to buy a business, right? I'm graduating from college. I want to buy a business. What do I do? Excellent. So uh, you decide that you have cash to do it, right? And how do you figure that out? Well, it's a leverage system, right? So the bottom out is SBA charges uh, or requires 10% down payment. Uh, so that'd be the minimum amount of skin in the game that you'd have to have available for whatever the size of business is. Probably uh, the high could be 30%. I would say you're buying in if you have to pay that much. So most often it comes somewhere between 10 and 20%. So I always give the example, uh, 100,000 as a, a, a number that's accomplishable for most. Uh, 100,000 is a 10% down payment on a million dollar company, or it's a 20% down payment on a half a million dollar company. Uh, the difference in a half a million versus a million, I would expect in a half a million dollar company, I'm looking for maybe 150,000 in uh, cash flow that's available to me as the new owner or more. And in maybe a million dollar business, I'm looking at over 300,000 in cash flow that I'm looking for the owner to have or more. So there's a good range of deviation, which just goes back to from a buying cash flow standpoint is if I have the capital from a down payment construct, I can ultimately choose how much cash I want to make every year and find a company <laughs> to meet that dynamic, right? Uh, in the most simplistic format. Which is so attractive. 
I think. <laughs> but you know, it kind of irritates me a little bit because I think of how many investment businesses I could have invested in by now. <laughs> it is but a I mean, how strategy. many people really know, hey, 10%, you can buy a business that's going to be positive cash flow right now. Amen. And hopefully, if everything's set up correctly, all the processes, systems are in place for you to come in, take it over. The system is running itself, hopefully, and then you're just off to buying and selling your next business. <laughs> That's right. And it's not just you, Natalie. 85% of people who buy businesses uh, probably at this lower market level are first-time business uh, acquirers, right? Now, whether they've been in business for decades or, you know, not at all, it's their first time acquiring a business. And that's because it's seemingly something that people believe is outside of their range around. Uh, and as we just talked about, that's not necessarily true, right? Uh, as a down payment leverage scenario, probably any one of us who've had a successful business at some point in time could have participated by expanding our business uh, through acquisition of other companies, right? Uh, using the cash flow that we had and a little bit of leverage. But most of us just don't realize that that's an option. Uh, we continue that startup dynamic and, you know, creationism path. Uh, versus realizing that the number one growth strategy globally is mergers and acquisition for that very reason, that they realize buying cash flow is a great opportunity. <laughs> yes, I love it. Awesome. So Xavier Egan, Capital Asset Advisors, thank you for joining us this morning. You can find him on any social media platform. Thank you for being here. Go buy a business, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Mr. Todd Social, let's wrap it up. Any big takeaways from this morning? I think the biggest takeaway is that if you're really thinking about your business uh, in terms of strategy, you really want to think about the end game. You really want to take the steps to really see that out. And even if someone's like doing basic business planning, and a lot of people don't necessarily do this now, but should really look into it. Look at your business plan at your fifth year, as well as what you want to do in the beginning, because everybody wants to generate revenue. Everybody wants to market. Everybody wants to exit rich. But do you really know where you're at? I, I like what he said about you know, like your yearly checkup after like year two, year three. I think that's an important thing because in two or three years, you, you may not be so much in love with your business as you are in the, in the beginning you know when you're when you're dating your business and you're trying to build the elements to it and you've gone through some stuff by then too. you've gone through some stuff and you've got like uh you know i, don't, yeah, I like it but i don't love it right <laughs> so it may be a way for you to kind of reinforce like what is your direction so i really like that and i think that's a missing element to strategy for a lot of businesses so it was a good it was a good show to really understand what that looks like yeah i mean every time i i we speak to xavier i just want to go buy a business so bad i can't even, i think last time i was up for like three nights looking on that buy biz sell and studying all these different types of businesses because i mean you hear him talk about it and it just seems so easy and again it just seems like it's something we should be talking about right we're gonna yep. graduate school we're buying houses forget buying the house. I want to buy a business, right? Let's talk about buying a business. So grateful for him to be here this morning and talk to us more about that. So thank you to I Do Systems for sponsoring today's show. Friday mornings, Todd, do you want to hit on Friday morning at Clubhouse? Yeah. So Friday morning at Clubhouse. 
for those people who are serious entrepreneurs and really want to take their business to the next level, you know, we'll be doing Clubhouse Friday mornings to really talk about serious entrepreneurship, talk about the systems, the tools, the tactics, and the way to actually really grow your business. This is something that's important to the esoteric central mindset of someone who has the next step level in, 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 in their heads. And essentially, if you really want to know what entrepreneurship is really like, come check us out on Friday on Clubhouse, Serious Entrepreneurs Club. That's right. Friday mornings. Thank you to IDU Systems for today's sponsorship. Do something today that will help you better your business. We will see you next Monday, everyone. Have a beautiful week. We'll see you soon. Thank you for being here. Our goal is simple, to help you achieve the dream and vision you first had when you thought about starting a business. We're here to make growing your business less complicated. There are building blocks to build a sustainable business. We promise to seek them out and address them all. The better your business show starts